Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Pazby. And I'm Paul Ponte. This week we continue. You were really pleased with yourself there, weren't you? Uh, I, I didn't mean to, but I really started getting to, into Carson like halfway through it. I was like, I'm Paul Ponte. <laughs> Uh, what would that make me? I, I, his name's not coming to me. Uh, his sidekick for many, many years. Sullivan? No, not Sullivan. What? Are, you, what? Jo- are we talking Johnny Carson? Yeah. Yeah, not Sullivan. The guy who gave the checks. The, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Anyway. <laughs> look. Uh, we're not talking about Johnny Carson. Although, Paul, uh, I'm actually surprised. Is there not a Johnny Carson impression in this movie? There's got to be at least one, right? Because the movie we're talking about this week, as we are continuing our journey through the Disney Renaissance, is Aladdin, 1992's uh, blockbuster hit that, of course, is most memorable for the many impressions and, and, and wonderful tidbits and jokes and puns by uh, Robin Williams, where he sets this movie apart. And now I'm thinking... Because I do remember reading that he did, uh, by Disney's count, 52 different impressions while recording. I got to imagine Johnny Carson's in there. We just didn't notice. Right? Maybe not. I don't know. There's definitely an Ed Sullivan. Mm. Anyway, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I thought you were going to have an answer. <laughs> uh, no, I. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely that. Um, oh, I thought you were going to go with a. That's right, Johnny. You know. <laughs> no, there's no Ed McMahon. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> God. Thank you for scratching that itch. <laughs> Whew, that would have killed me the rest of the podcast. Literally had an itch in the back of my head. Uh, but yeah, we're talking about Aladdin, which uh, I will say, growing up, felt like the Disney movie that boys were allowed to like. You know what I mean, Paul? Did you get this feeling? And and again, there's a little bit of an age gap, but definitely I think you probably obviously felt it more than I did. I was very young when this came out. Um, That this was the uh, Disney movies, you know, they were for girls, man. You know, it's for the chicks. It wasn't for the dudes. And the dudes finally got one here with Aladdin, you know, cool dude running across buildings, funny blue guy. It was for the boys, you know, it was our movie. Yeah, I think I think the transition started with Beauty and the Beast because they were like the Beast was featured heavily and he was like and he wasn't a Prince Charming. You know, he was in the end, but he wasn't throughout the movie. He was a big, gruff. So, like, I, you know, you could just see, like, an exec just being like, you know, oh, yeah, so it's more like for the boys as well, you know, because they, they can't they can't like a regular man for some reason. I don't know why that is. But, yeah, this is the movie that's definitely like now we're going to I think it's kind of almost like can they break the formula of like it has to be a Disney princess centric film. Yeah, that kind of thing. And instead, we get Aladdin, which is, you know, a very what is what is the word? It's like uh, it's almost like a kid's wildest dream, where it's like no parents, no rules, do whatever you want. But then, like showing like the dark side of that, being like, yeah, but also now you're poor and you have nothing. So 
Yeah, good call. <laughs> I mean, there's literally children begging for for bread at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So, by the way, I found a definitive list of Aladdin's impressions and of uh, Genie's impressions, and Johnny Carson is not on there. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I feel like you would notice if Johnny Carson was on there. I mean, he definitely would have done uh, you know the bit with again. None of the names are coming to me. You know where he's wearing the turban and he's got the Kettler and he goes, you know, and he says like. Uh, uh, street rat and then opens it and it says aladdin or something you know what i mean he does do of course arsenio hall yes he does arsenio hall i mean he does all it's a checklist of all of the early 90s impressions surprisingly only a few of them i think don't age entirely very well there's only a few that feel like oh that's definitely a product of the 90s like when you see him do the arnold schwarzenegger it's definitely a product of the 90s but also like you still know who arnold schwarzenegger is uh whereas arsenio hall not quite in the pop culture lexicon like it was in 1992 so you know, uh, most of it's aged all right. You know, a lot. It's it's aged a lot better than you know, like uh, uh, Kim Kardashian jokes at the Aladdin California Adventure performances. Well, so no, luckily, because those have aged better, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, the good thing is for me is I recognize the Rodney Dangerfield impression thanks to Rover Dangerfield the cartoon of course starring Roger Dangerfield <laughs> <laughs> that was the era what a wonderful era that was where Rodney Dangerfield where they just went let's put this 65 year old man who's done nothing before into everything and make him everything let's make him go well, to college let's make him into a dog let's make him let's have him do a rap album a gold well, also time. It was the first few years of the Disney Renaissance. It was a couple years after Little Mermaid came out. So at this point, studios were just greenlighting animated movies. They were just like, so there were so many in this feud. And when you were, you know, my age at the time or your age in a couple of years from then, like it's it's a great time to be a kid because there's just animated movies everywhere. I would go to the video store. That's right, the video store, and I would just be like, "Ooh, look at all these animated films! Look at all these talking animals!" <laughs> you could almost say that the world was was almost like our own Chuck E. Cheese, where a kid could be a kid at all times. It yes, was, it was a beautiful time. Um, now I say that look, Aladdin is for the boys uh, is uh, the phrase we're going to trademark here. But you know what? It, I, I shouldn't strictly say that clearly. Um, and also, I think it maybe says something, and I don't know if Disney's way of thinking for marketing this movie was we got to make a movie that will appeal to little boys because we got the girls cornered market. Um, that there's a part of me that feels like, did Disney just be like, ah, little girls, you throw a princess in there, they'll just eat it all up. We don't have to worry about them, but we really got to focus on the boys because that's always how they've been my entire life. And now they have Star Wars and Marvel, so they don't have to worry about that shit anymore. But, like, I just feel like my whole life was Disney freaking out of, like, how are we ever going to get little boys to to actually enjoy what we put out there? Well, it's just an interesting shift because Lion King comes after this, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is another one that's definitely for everybody. It's not like, you know, as Jeffrey Katzenberg said about The Little Mermaid, a girl's movie. Yeah, but you get more on Simba than you do on Nala. Mm -hmm. You get more on Aladdin than you do on Jasmine. Although this one's more balanced well than than Lion King is. Yeah. So I feel like it it is interesting that they went from like two female-led to two male-led. And it's not like alternate. Instead, they just kind of do it that way. I don't know. It's just interesting that... 
that they went that route. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, I don't. I don't know if it was a purposeful decision or not, but yeah, it just kind of happened to be that way. Um, but this is probably the most even, as far as you know, prince and princess uh, being represented alike. Yeah, because even later on, you've got like Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is you know that's pretty much Quasimodo's movie. Um, Hercules, which is a lot more of uh, Hercules. Um, yeah, and really from that point, just yeah, everything else is you know it, it is not that that fifty fifty split. So there's something for everybody, is what we're trying to say. And then of course you know you got a big blue guy, who everybody loves, um, and so. Let's talk a little bit about this movie, which is uh, yeah, because you always go into the casting what ifs. Yeah, so yeah. I I've heard I think I've heard before of some of the people that could have been genie. That's the big so, one. That's the one everybody so, wants to because yeah. all the other ones are kind of like it could have. You know, they're they're all. It's really the first time too in this era where Disney finally goes, let's get a big star, and it's also when it kind of blew up in their face uh the one time they actually go out of their way get like one of the biggest stars in hollywood at the time and everything goes wrong so uh, it starts off with the success of course of the little mermaid which just green lights everything the beauty and the beast gets to go ahead of uh, to continue on and they kind of just throw it out on the table like anybody who wants to do something throw it at us so howard ashman and alan macon who basically have the keys to the disney car at this point take full advantage they pitch an animated musical uh, that is based off of aladdin and the wonderful lamp from the middle eastern folktale collection 1001 nights or arabian nights that's how it's known to us like arabian days yeah exactly like those uh yeah a song that um uh, there was a, we were talking about it before we started the podcast. There is a very brief warning, very thorough. Warning. It's a lengthy, like they, they don't leave it up for long enough to read it. I don't think. No, it's a brief <laughs> and very thorough warning. Um, Th- uh, that shows up when you watch this now on Disney Plus. If you're into animation, you know Warner Brothers when they release the what do they call like the Forbidden Eight, something like that. That are the like the shorts that are banned, and Warner Brothers released those on a DVD collection where they have a warning. I think they have like Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, but they even it. they even do it for the regular old Looney Tunes one that are just kind of like mm, I don't know about this. Uh, so it's not even just the extreme ones. Like they do it for all of it. They're like, hey. There's pro- there might be some stuff in here like watch out, um, but this we we've talked we might have even mentioned on the podcast before that that we were wondering like why they didn't do I think it's when we talked about like Song of the South or something like that where we we're like oh it's interesting that like they don't just put it out and then have the warning in front oh but Disney doesn't do the warning blah 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 but now apparently they are because today was the day that I popped in this movie and I saw that warning for the first time so I don't know how recent they put it it's pretty recent because uh, we we watched a little bit of Peter Pan when Disney Plus first came out and 30 minutes in promptly turned it off because it is you don't ever need to revisit that movie folks I'm just telling you right now we probably will for this podcast and that's all you'll need because it is painfully racist like we've watched a lot of old movies on here we've watched a lot of uncomfortable scenes on this podcast nothing compared to 30 minutes into Peter Pan just going, no, we're done. Why this, this, I, I don't need this anymore. I just give me the charming little ride in Disneyland and nothing more. That's all I ever need of Peter Pan. 
nothing hmm. more. I'm done. So anyway, uh, but yeah, this does have a warning. Uh, Arabian Nights, of course, being one of the big things that got changed, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, I, I'm trying to think what else in the movie that hasn't been edited, ed- excuse me, edited, um, really stood out as like, I mean, I guess it's just the general like depiction of characters, the sort of whitewashing of it really is the main thing to me. It, well, there's just it's just the stuff of like you know cutting off people's hands. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. There's still a lot it, of like brutality and 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 um, yeah. You're right. Using using sort of and the, the opening lyrical slang. Yeah, yeah. The opening song has lyrics. So don't they like refer to it as like a savage land or something yeah, like that? I mean, it's still they it's, cut out the bad lyric and they still say it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. Which yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess yeah. Bar- thanks for fixing see, it. See, barbaric. Yeah, because barbaric is like you know what's what's the the uh, the the source of that is barbarian. So you're literally calling them like uncivilized. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I think that's it. And I and I think just generally, like you know, it's obviously frowned upon nowadays to have anybody that's not of that. Um, yeah. You know, and, it, to and, not have Middle Eastern people voicing Middle Eastern characters, and literally yeah. have you know the Sultan being like a jolly British fellow, uh, and uh, yeah, basically having everyone be British, or, and then our two main characters having American accents, and then again the genie being literally Robin Williams. Yeah. So uh, Ashman envisions the story uh, as a more faithful retelling. Uh, of the original uh, source material originally uh, with a few key changes. For one, Aladdin had three friends join him on his adventure, Babak, Omar, and Kasim. That was actually revived for the Broadway version, and it's fine. Uh, the biggest change for the source that remained was the depiction of Genie. Ashman wanted to portray this character as sort of a hybrid between Cab Calloway and Fats Waller. Do they achieve that? Um, he Abram, does a Cab Calloway impression. He does. And maybe that's co- sort of a nod. I think there's a bit of it, especially with the song. I mean, you can hear it in Friend Like Me. Like, it explains why it sounds that way. Yeah, I think basically once it was Robin Williams in the role, the role became catered to Robin Williams. Exactly. Yeah. Which is fine. And honestly, yeah. and I wouldn't have it any other way at this point. No, I would argue the movie would not nearly be as remembered or as iconic if it wasn't for him. 100%. 100 Because yeah. you know who's not putting butts in the seats? Scott Winger. <laughs> no offense, Scott Winger, you know. No full offense. I don't and, care. and the wonderful <laughs> and the wonderful Brad Kane who sings uh for him. By the way, this has yeah. got to be the first in the Disney Renaissance era where the actors who played the ver- the voice actors, the talking parts a lot well, of them, neither of them sing, huh? A lot of them, yeah. Both full Brad Kane and who was the voice of Jasmine? I don't have Linda it Larkin and Linda Larkin don't sing. It's Brad Kane and Lea Salonga uh, are the singers in this movie. Which, it, once again, I get it. But like we always like, it just makes me laugh because it's like, yeah, Lea Salonga can sing, but that's not all she does on Broadway. Right. Like why? you actually have to act. So why isn't she just the actress? That's what's so weird is it's like, how bad would it have been if either of them were just the voices for yeah. both characters? Especially as Alonga, who was, you know, literally like a Tony nominated actress yeah. on Broadway and stuff. So it's weird. 
Yeah, maybe they just didn't. They got confused when Jasmine just started having vibrato every time she talked. But yeah, that's that's that like half like this is where after Ashman passes away, maybe there is that disconnect where they're like, well, we should still have a Broadway actress and actor sing, but they shouldn't act. Whereas I think Ashman would have the full faith that they would could do both parts fine. I mean, probably yeah, and right. I- and I think just the reason I, I specifically selected Leah Salonga in that out of my reference is because literally like since then, especially um, she has become like a major like it's, you know, it's like yeah. people talk about like their favorite Broadway singers and like she is constantly being put on yeah. people's lists in their top five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, she sings Mulan a few years later. She does reflection yeah. like. She literally t- sings two of the most iconic songs of this era, um, yeah. and for some reason doesn't get to voice the characters. It's odd. It's odd. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's very funny. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it it makes no sense. So uh, they're pitching this project, but Disney Studios head Jeffrey Katzenberg is initially very dismissive of the idea. So he pushes it aside. Plus. The other big project, of course, Beauty and the Beast, uh, if you hadn't listened to our episode last week, uh, was in trouble. So he had Ashman and Mankin go fix that project before revisiting Aladdin. And of course, as we mentioned last week, Ashman tragically passes away before he could get back to working on Aladdin. He and Mankin had finished work on multiple songs, but only three of them make the cut. I want to say altogether, he had something like almost 14 songs, like a huge amount of songs. That includes reprises and, and other things. Yeah, but themes. still, like that's like lot. that's like a full musical. He had a lot, and and they bring back, I want to say three or four for the Broadway musical. I want to say at least three. Yeah, off the top of my head for sure. Um, only three of those songs make the cut: Arabian Nights, Friend Like Me, and Prince Ali. He's really genie was the guy for him, obviously, to to really anchor this movie, which he was right. Uh, Ashman's finished work, as I said, doesn't see the light of day until 2011 when the Broadway version comes out, uh, including the song that I'm sure Ashman would be absolutely mortified to learn has taken on a completely different meaning in 2021. That would be the song that Aladdin was originally going to sing to his mother called Proud of Your Boy. Hmm. <laughs> Look, I would... Uh... I'd go into the history, Paul, of why a certain uh, neo-Nazi white nationalist group uses this song as their anthem. Um, but, you know, on behalf of Ashman, uh, his estate, and uh, musical fans in general, fuck them. They don't deserve the, the time of day, so fuck them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wow. fuck them for doing that. Oh, uh, Yeah. Disney had begun fine-tuning Aladdin while Mankin and Ashman were busy with Beauty and the Beast, including a revised script by Beauty and the Beast screenwriter Linda Wolverton that cut out Aladdin's friends from the film and increases Jasmine's role, plus adds elements of other Arabian Nights stories. Uh, That's a good call. Yeah, specifically the Thief of Baghdad, and they borrowed the villain of that story, Jafar, to be the main antagonist of this film. Ron Clements and John Musker chose this movie as their next endeavor. Basically, Disney just said, here's three projects. Which one do you want? They uh, had this one, an adaptation of Swan Lake, which never saw the light of day, and a film called King of the Jungle. Guess what that became? Come on. Mm. Yeah, it, it uh, it became Tarzan. 
No, it became the Lion King. I, damn it. Why is it Tarzan? It's too close. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, okay. It became Tarzan. It took a long time. Bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> anyway. In April 1991, about 19 months before the film was scheduled to hit theaters. Not a, not a long time for an animated movie, I should say. Yeah. Katzenberg ordered that the entire story be thrown in the trash and rewritten. He told Musker and Clements that they were holding on to Ashman's version too much and needed to accept that it just wasn't working. Aladdin's mother, apparently that character was not working, though. And Katzenberg said, said apparently about the character, quote, 86 the mother, the mom's a zero. Uh, you can't get, like, a more, you couldn't, like, write a parody of a Hollywood guy more, more extreme than that. 86 the mother. If you told me he had a cigar in his mouth when he said it, I'd believe you. 86 the mother. She's a zero. Imagine like being an intern bringing in coffee and having no idea what's happening, and you walk into yeah. 86 the mother. She's a zero. Yeah. Like, what the you gotta fuck call, is uh, happening here? They got to call what's Brolin's character in uh, in um, Hail Caesar? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, so the changes, though, aren't all that bad. The original script had Jasmine facing the prospect of being married by law, as is is in the movie, that she's supposed to be married by law at a certain date, but we're not, we don't know exactly why. In the original script, she had to be married by the time she hit her 16th birthday, which, ew, no. Glad they yeah. took that out. Uh, yeah. Um, at least, at least we don't know how old Aladdin is, so he could be 16. Oh, Paul, if that made you uncomfortable, how about this? Aladdin, his original age, 13. All right. Yeah. That makes a little more sense to how he acts in the beginning of the movie. It does, which, jeez, 13. He doesn't look anything close to 13, though. Clearly, they went, no. okay, we can't do that. Yeah, we, we're going to have to uh, animate this kid up. We cannot have an Anakin Padme situation on our hands here. This is not mm. where we're going. This can't be mm -hmm. happening. No. Well, plus, he could never last there. He hates sand. Precisely. Too coarse. So new screenwriters are brought in, Ted Elliott and Terry Rosio, and the crew had just over a year to finish production because, oh yeah, by the way, despite these requests, uh, Katzenberg does not move the release date to accommodate them. Throw it all in the trash, you've got the exact same amount of time, go. Okay. So a new script also means new songs, and while they were able to squeeze in a few of Ashman and Macon's original songs, as mentioned, uh, a lot of them were left on the cutting room floor, so Disney decides to hire famed lyricist Tim Rice to fill this massive void left after Ashman's passing. Not a bad choice to uh, fill that void. You know, a guy who only has written things like Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita, um, you know, uh, if you if you look at Andrew Lloyd Webber's career, uh, and I'm sorry, this will be the first of m me, I guess. I don't want to say shitting on Andrew Lloyd Webber, but frankly, when I think of my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, I notice a trend. The ones he wrote with Tim Rice are usually okay. the ones at the top. Frankly, yeah. Phantom's good. I'll give you that. Phantom is good. So Rice and Mankin, uh, four Rice and Mankin songs appear in the film. 
although two of them are actually just reprises, but still. Uh, when one of those songs is a whole new world, that basically counts as four. Animators used famous characterist Ash Al Hirschfeld as the inspiration for the film's character designs, something I never knew, and now that I look at Genie, I go, ah, I, I get it. I get it now. And really all the characters, too, and apparently it had to do with the way they the animators thought that the way that Hirschfeld made his drawings, you know, very swoosh and swoops and curves, um, very freehand, felt right for a Middle Eastern setting, especially the way that Arabic is written out, which I've got to give him credit. I actually think that's a pretty inspired choice, to be, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, and, and Genie, you look at Genie, and he feels like a Hirschfeld uh, caricature, for sure. Uh, that is, though, for everyone except Jafar, animator Andres De uh, Deha said uh, he was done uh, a little bit different on purpose so that he would contrast with everyone else in the cast. Aladdin is modeled after Tom Cruise and Calvin Klein models of the early 90s. So, you know, a little, yeah, absolutely. He's a little bit he's a little bit Tom Cruise and a little bit Marky Mark. There you go. Uh, the Sultan is modeled after the Wizard of Oz from the 1939 film. Uh, and Iago is designed to at least slightly resemble the man who voiced him, Gilbert Gottfried. Which, that's a recurring thing for years, that Disney just is like, what does the guy who's voicing him look like? And they just yeah. make him look like... That's Although, true. they say they modeled after Gilbert Gottfried. I don't I don't, I don't really see I, it. I, it's really just the eyebrows. Yeah, that's, all, that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a pretty standard Disney bird. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a bird. It's, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's a always. it's a Disney parrot. It's we've seen him before. We'll see him again. <laughs> uh, speaking of the voices, we can't talk about this movie. Of course, we've already talked about him a little bit without talking about the man who gave life to Genie. That would be Robin Williams. So here are those names you were waiting for, Paul. That almost were Genie, and these were all Katzenberg choices. But apparently, Musker and Clements were like, it has to be Robin Williams. It cannot be anybody else. They wrote. The character, they, they, they basically rewrote the character for him. But the other guys who were up for it, Steve Martin, John Candy, Eddie Murphy. Okay, so there was definitely a vibe. Yeah, all three make okay. sense. But Williams is clearly like the same vibe times a million on... You know, uh, I mean, probably literally on cocaine uh, during that time. So it's uh, yeah. that type of vibe uh, that they were looking for. And it's so it, you it's said it was different. will it was Martin, Steve Martin, Murphy, yeah, John and Candy. John Candy. Yeah. So out of the four possible choices, including Robin Williams, half of them are dead. That's a bummer and a half. Jeez, I didn't even think about that. And what Candy died? What 1991? Yeah. So he this probably would have been his final role if he Damn. was able to record it in time, which he may yeah. not have. Uh, True. But yeah, this was going to be Robin Williams' role basically through Hell or High Water. Uh, but Robin Williams was already scheduled to film Hook and Toys back to back. But as a thank you to Disney. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, the same quality as Latin. Got it. Right. We continue. Right. Exactly. <laughs> both. If you put both together, Paul. They're the same quality. So that counts for something. Oh. 
a lot. There's a lot of hooks to- fans who are mad. Toys at us right now. is a is an insane movie. You I love what? it. I don't. But it's I, insane. I don't think I ever saw it as a okay. Kid. You need to watch Toys. Yeah. I watched it. I, I need you to watch Toys, Cody. And then I need you to realize that I watched it as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it like seeing the poster at the video store and thinking, well, that's Robin Williams. That's Genie. I, of course, and it's called Toys. Of course I'll love that. And I just never watched it. Yeah. Probably for the best. Is Tim Burton involved in Toys? Because I wouldn't be surprised if he was. That I don't know. I don't think he is. But... That t- that should tell you about uh, what what I about some of the dark tones. Yeah, I think I need to give that a, a, another watch. By the way, Toys came out a month after Aladdin. Oh yeah, and that's so th- that's what leads me to to what was going on here. Uh, so first of all, he decides I'll do Aladdin because Touchstone produced. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, which was a huge success, uh, kind of a surprise success, especially for an R-rated comedy. So he basically took on the role as a thank you to Disney. He did it at scale, $75,000 at the time. Uh, he was commanding $8 million a movie at the time. And he took oh it, my God. And he took it at scale. So so there you go. That's a pretty good thank you for, for Robin Williams. I hope they at least gave him some points on the movie because he worked scale for what was going to be probably the most uh, financially successful out of a few projects he did that year. Well, that's where things get messy because, uh, like I said, he's easily the biggest celebrity to lend his voice to a Disney movie in a long time and easily during the Renaissance era. So the deal apparently came with a lot of strings attached. Uh, Williams could not be used in any marketing for the movie since Toys was set to compete with Aladdin just a month later at the box at the Christmas box office. Uh, Genie could not take up more than 25% of posters and advertising artwork, and there was no deal for any merchandising or toy deals, not, no back-end deals, nothing. It was literally, he got that scale pay, and that was it. It was a thank you. This was, this, that's what this was. Uh, before we get into more of the messy details, I do just have to mention just how he did this. He ad-libbed most of his lines for the movie. They just threw topics at him and dialogue suggestions from time to time. Animators would then animate Genie based off of what he said during recording sessions. Um, yeah, I imagine that had to be it because there's no way. How could you? Uh, you're not going to be able to steer him in the direction of what you're going to animate him doing. <laughs> Right, exactly. It's I mean they Disney animators knew. They're like just this guy is a living cartoon. Just let him do what he wants to do. And they were right. So, yeah, he he obviously gives an incredible voice acting performance. Like it's one of the you see so many big actors go into voice acting and it's wrong. It doesn't fit. It's just it seems stale. It doesn't whatever they bring on the screen when it's them is it vanishes behind a microphone and behind an animated character and obviously robin williams the very rare exception where he not only thrives he probably if he wanted to he could have just been a voice actor his entire career and, and been fine yep um so of course we said all those things that disney was told don't use me no merchandising shit don't go crazy don't, don't go crazy with merchandising basically um and of course we know as kids they used Disney. They used uh, Disney. Used Genie very heavily uh, in advertising for this movie. Uh, they worked around the whole Genie has to be in twenty five percent. Do you? I remember vividly the first poster for this movie. The big, or not the first poster, but like the big poster. 
and it's like all of like Agrabah and uh, Aladdin and Jasmine on the magic carpet. You see Jafar. You see Jafar in the distance. But then above them all is Genie, like a big Genie. And they said technically, even though he's the thing that catches your eye and he's the most prominently featured character, he's only in 25% of the poster. So that's the workaround. Um, of course, he's also in a ton of commercials. He was featured in a ton of toys. Uh, fast food marketing was almost entirely surrounded by him or revolved around him. Um, and Robin Williams received absolutely zero compensation for it. Um, I see the poster you're talking about now. That's the one I remember. It's like it's seared into my brain. Um, yeah, it has it has them on the carpet. Yep. Or no, I might be thinking about it. I might be looking at a different one. But even though I'm so I'm looking at one where it's them on the carpet, it's uh the Cave of Wonders with Jafar, and the very top is just Genie. Yep. Yep. That's the one. That's definitely the one. Yeah. That that was almost all the posters. It would be like Genie would be literally in a corner where if you were to put cut the poster into a into boxes you would be like one fourth of this is genie yeah but it's or also like, like no other character is featured in one fourth of an entire frame of this yeah that's pre- that's pretty crazy yeah and then you compare it to like the posters for the remake where it's just genie 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 or just a lamp or just a lamp the first poster was a great one it's just the lamp yeah it's a great teaser poster uh so, yeah, this was a, a bad relationship between Disney and, and Robin Williams, to say the least. Uh, things got really sour really fast. So to make up for the lost revenue, Disney execs bought Robin Williams an original Picasso painting valued at just well over $1 million. Uh, it was a portrait of Vincent van Gogh made by Picasso. <laughs> But in classic Robin Williams style, he said, I don't like the painting because he uh, felt it was too subdued for his wild home decor. What a, what a madman. I think that's either that's him being a madman or just being like, oh, fuck off. Like, just a I think it's just him saying fuck off. Yeah, it's just him saying fuck to off. say because to say like literally a Picasso is not crazy enough for my dick, home decor. No, he's like, no, you should be giving me points on this so that in perpetuity I will be getting money for this. Yeah, for forever the rest of my basically. Life. Which yeah. if he, if that were the case, whew, that would be crazy. And of course, this movie goes on to be the biggest success for Disney so far. But that's what's bananas is that normally that's what they'll do if they get a big name on scale is they'll say like, okay, well, we'll get you on scale, but you get some points on the back end to like help you out. You know, like that way, if it's success, like we can't pay you now, but if it's success, boom, you get money. It's like you're like getting in. It's like you're getting shares in a movie. You know what I mean? And and for them to not even. uh, I I mean, maybe he did and it was reported, but like. He was very well, adamant. I, I think if he did, he would not be getting annoyed no. about the other stuff. I no. think it's I think it's a different story at that yeah, point. Absolutely. Yeah. And he like would go, I think he went on like late night talk shows and just would just go on and on about how like Disney's fucking him over all the time. As like Aladdin is being prepared to be released. Like that was his going on the you know uh, going out and advertising this movie it was just like fuck Disney. They 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 screwed me over. Um Oh, yeah, Aladdin's in theaters next week, so. But anyway, 
Uh, because of this mess, he doesn't return to voice Genie in the direct-to-video sequel Return of Jafar. Although, he was back for the third direct-to-video movie, Aladdin the King of Thieves. Also happened to be the first Aladdin movie made since the departure of Jeffrey Katzenberg. Don't think that's a coincidence. So Aladdin is released November 25th, 1992. Uh, although it took eight weeks to reach number one at the box office... Although I think it was like top five for 23 straight weeks, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, Aladdin became the highest grossing film in 1992. It became the first animated movie ever to gross $200 million in North America. I believe uh, it finished number two opening weekend to Home Alone 2 uh, and eventually took it over like, what, January, which is nuts. Course, I don't really like Home Alone 2, but I really like the cameos. Continue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hope they never... Censor those out, you know? That should also... <laughs> this home, wait a minute. Oh, fuck. I want to check. Does Home Alone 2 have a disclaimer? It's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, speaking of... We, we talked talking a little bit about um, the genie and his impressions. You know who does... By the way, the, the genie that Johnny Carson does is Karnak the Magnificent. Thank you, um, God, another itch. You know smashed. who... You know who does do a Karnak impression? Is the genie from DuckTales, The Treasure of the Lost Lamp. <laughs> Which, so are you about to go down a rabbit hole where Disney just essentially borrowed the plot of DuckTales, The Lost Lamp? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it's essentially Aladdin. Yeah, there's a lot there that they definitely were like, oh, we like these ideas so let's use some of these. I could imagine because what that's made it's made at a separate studio. It's not at Disney Animation, you know, flagship Disney Animation. It's like what Disney Tunes or something. I think it's called. It's a uh, Disney Movie Tunes. Okay, yeah. So a separate studio, but I could imagine they were seeing it in guys like Ashman and Mankin were like, especially Ashman's probably like, we could do this, but better. Yeah, there, there's just a moment when the genie is literally, like, rattling off different impressions, and that scene specifically, you're like, hey, wait a minute. Um, oh, wow. I did not <laughs> You're like, that. oh, what is, uh, and especially because he's doing, like, he's also referencing, like, modern things. Holy shit. I don't think yeah, I ever so, do that. So, the, the, it's just, they de there's definitely some type of um, inspo there, where they're just like... Well, this movie wasn't a super popular movie. It made like $20 million. It wasn't anything to sniff at. But they 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 definitely were like, well, this is a less successful from the before time. <laughs> so let's we could borrow something from this. Right. Right. You're remaking it, but you're taking out uh, you know, we're we're out of the duck extended universe. Um, and you know, and it, unfortunately, I would love yeah. it if we could deep dive further into the Duck Extended Universe, which we are at the moment, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, another movie that it probably copied would be one we talked about last week: The Thief and the Cobbler, the Richard Williams um, magnum opus that never was. A movie that Disney was fully aware he decided not to make Beauty and the Beast because he wanted to continue making the movie. If you look at some of the images of the villain of that movie, who was voiced by Vincent Price, mm. very Jafar looking. very, And even the style of the, the, of the characters, very, very similar. Very, very similar. You know who voiced Genie in The Treasure of the Lost Lamp? Who? 
Rip Taylor. Hell yeah. Oh my God. Why have I never seen that movie? I probably did as a kid and just never got around to it again. Yeah. The evil sorcerer Murloc is played by Christopher Lloyd. All right. I got to watch this movie. So one would say, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, more star-studded cast. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is a more star-studded cast than literally a Disney animated uh, flagship feature. Yeah. Uh, yeah Although, I mean, hey, Full House was big at the time, so I guess that kid from Full House being in it's big. What, Aladdin? Aladdin? Yeah. Isn't Scott Winger in Full House? He played, like, one of the boyfriends of one of the girls. Oh, yeah. You're right. Shit. Why did I not put two and two together? You're right. Now I'm looking at his face, and I'm like, yep, you're right. That's exactly who he is. Yeah, and he's even in the, the... the the Fuller House show too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, he was already in the Disney family. He was on an ABC show. You know what I mean? It's, that's that classic. That's what Disney did all the time. It's just like you're on an ABC show. Well, now you're in our movies. You know, or you're a voice in a movie, or whatever. You know, it's how we explain how we all had JTT yeah. fever in the 90s. absolutely. Tim Allen and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. They were the only people allowed to lead Disney live action movies for a certain point. Um, by the way, there is a voice actress on here who has the greatest name in the history of names. We've covered a lot of great names on this show. Mm-hmm. She plays just Harem Girl, not even a real like name at all. But her name is Debbie Derryberry. Holy shit. Debbie Derryberry. That gives- and she is a... She is a very popular uh, voice actress, by the way. She's on F is for Family. She's on a bunch of stuff, even today. Uh, the might, let's see. She was the voice of Jimmy Neutron? No. In the game, I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking further. If she was the voice of Jimmy Neutron on top of all of this, that would be wild. But it does not. Uh, no, it looks like uh, we're looking at OG voice. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, there you go. My goodness. Yeah, All so right. she's just, but her name is Derry, Debbie Derryberry. And I, to me, I just, I saw that name and Great I was name. delighted. Great name. Also, Jim Cummings getting like two rando ass little characters. Well, this was the beginning of like, because was he already Winnie the Pooh at this point? He had to. When was, when was the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh? I want to say be... just before this came out, that was on television. That was on Disney Channel. I want to say, but I don't, don't quote me on that. But he, at this point, had become, like, the Disney guy, you know? And Darkwing Duck, at this point, I think, is about to come out. If it, if not, it is out at this point. So, yeah. He's he's their guy. Oh, my God. I, I just searched Winnie on his IMDb, and there's 113 things on here. So he's like, still Winnie the Pooh to this day. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. So... Yeah, this movie humongous success. Uh, obviously, though, like this is this begins the the grand. Nineteen eighty eight. Okay, there you go. Okay, so yeah, he's so. already been Winnie the Pooh for four years. Uh, but this, of course, as you can see, begins the grand tradition of Disney, maybe sort of totally copying other things and not giving uh, credit for it. At least in this case, they copied themselves. Yeah, you know. Although so. you know, once again, what is this whole story based on? Right. Not an original story of theirs. Of course. Of course. Uh, and this also becomes, uh, this continues Disney's streak of animated movie success at the Oscars. Took home awards for Best Original Song for uh, A Whole New World and, of course, Best Original Score as well. So let's talk about this movie. Let's we talk start, about it. We start in the desert. 
Of course. Uh, with Arabian Nights, uh, a traveling salesman sings about the desert, cracks a few jokes, uh, shows us the legendary lamp. That whole beginning scene where it's Robin Williams, that is 100% ad-libbed, where he's just like, the lamp, it's a coffee maker. You could literally hear, if he didn't have the accent, you could just hear the, like, look at this lamp, it's a coffee maker. Ooh, it's, it's this. Oh, it makes fries. Uh, he's totally doing that. Uh, and, of course, he begins to tell us the tale of its discovery. But let's talk a little bit about the song, because uh, the song is one that was very controversial. It's annoying because I, I love the fa- I love when Disney tries to incorporate themes of the culture that they're that they're not necessarily well representing, but at least they're trying. You know what I mean? Like, at least you got some kind of heart, kid. Um, like, at least you want to incorporate it. So to me, like, musically, the opening song is great. It's just like, it's very catchy. Um, it's just a great, Arabian Nights. It's such a well-written like score and like... Everything about it is great he until really, yeah borrows the elements <laughs> musically so well of that style of music Middle Eastern music, but yeah. I, something I'm realizing and again we have praised Ashman who was a genius and, and and brings us so many incredible songs in such a short amount of time, but this clearly was a case because it's all of the Ashman things are the things that are really questionable uh, racially. Uh, in this movie, all those things that got cut out, obviously the like Jasmine's getting married at sixteen, and um, this song and things like that, that were definitely the more questionable things. But we also don't know what his outline is is as a songwriter, yeah. and like a lot of the stuff where they're like, okay, well, this is the story we want to tell, and then he has to write around that. So if their whole idea is like, oh, this is a, this is a barbaric land where like anything can happen, write it, and he's like, okay, yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. I mean. I mean, I I might be wrongfully giving a guy the benefit of the doubt when we could we could just say, hey, it's okay to criticism, which it totally still is. Right. You know, it's not. Once again, he was an adult, and he could have said no if that was the case. <laughs> so either way, it's bad. He but I just, just saying, had a, he might have just had a blind spot. Yeah. I'm just saying, not that we shouldn't blame him, but there's a lot more people we could blame as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. So uh, obviously, this the verse of the song. That got edited, but I do remember it as a kid. I remember hearing the original version. I, be- I uh, did they take it out from the VHS version? I could not find if they did because I feel like, and it may be a Mandela effect thing, but I feel like I remember hearing the original version, which is when they where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face, which was changed to where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. I feel like I remember hearing Heat is Intense. That is the one that you hear all the time now. It's the one they've stuck in the movie, which then is followed with It's Barbaric, But Hey, It's Home, which doesn't make much sense when it's just like, it's really fucking hot. So barbaric here. It's like, no, it's just hot. It's just really hot. It's okay. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, it could be a Mandela effect thing. But they altered the lyric after complaints from the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, um, the ADC. Uh that change first appeared, and here you go, in the 1993 video release, so I didn't catch that part. The original lyric was intact on the initial CD soundtrack release, so that might be where I heard it. Uh, mm. But the re-releases used the edited lyrics. I should mention, too, is this, I'm not even going to say is this, it's got to be the first Disney animated movie 
where the cast of characters are non-white. The entire cast of characters are non-white. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. There, yeah. there, what else would it have been up to this point? Nothing. Yeah. Wow, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the, and literally what? The closest you could think of Disney venturing out beyond to to non-white stories is Song of the South, and look how that turned out. Yeah. Wow. That's a good point. Took took until 1992 for them to find or or they did it with animals instead to represent minorities. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Song of the South. Dumbo. Uh, American uh, Tale. Right. Precisely. Precisely. So uh, they are definitely going. There's there's a lot of like. Hey, good for you. A, I guess not a for effort. That might be pushing it a little too far. Because, but I love this movie. It was it was probably the movie I loved the most as a, as a little kid. This is the one yeah. I probably watched the most as a little kid. I had a genie shirt for sure. You know, so. Um, but there is something to be said where maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me, but it it, it seems to me that uh, the villain Jafar has darker skin than the rest of them. But anyway, he, continue. He might. I, I I have to look at it again. He might though, yeah. And I mean, yeah. Like I said, this th- there is a whitewashing to this movie, despite it being again a cast of non-white characters. Yeah. So we are transported to a dark and eerie night where we meet Jafar and a uh, thief, a uh, simple thief named Gazim, who has given Jafar part of a I guess amulet of some sort, a golden beetle that he puts together. A uh, scarab? A scarab, thank you. Come on, Cody. Okay, fine, I'm sorry. It's a it's a bug. Uh gives him part of it and he said to reveal the cave of wonders which holds countless treasures. The cave reveals itself emerging as like a huge tiger head from the sand and saying that only the diamond in the rough can enter into the Cave of Wonders. A which diamond in the rough. Gazim is not the diamond in the rough. He gets eaten up. He's trapped inside the moment he steps in, leaving Jafar and his parrot, parrot Iago, to continue their search. We're then transported to the streets of Agrabah, where we meet a young lad named Aladdin and his best friend, a small monkey named Abu, who are being chased down by palace guards for just stealing a piece of bread, man. That's all I'm doing. Uh, In the song, One Jump Ahead. Yeah. Uh, Definitely a different tenor and a different vibe that we're used to, to for the first song from the main character of these movies. I mean, before this, the first song Ariel sings is her want song. It's, I mean, it's just, I guess it becomes the want song. But, like, it's the first time where it's, like, instead of it being, like, big, grander, um, you know, outlook to the world of something, I want something more. It's just a fun little song of, like, here's my life. Yeah. I'm always getting chased down by the cops, man. Wish they'd leave me alone. Uh, It's a fun song. I love this song. Yeah. I especially like the very serious part where he's like, I stole a loaf of bread. (laughs) (laughs) You think I plays it to a little bit? Like, this uh, was big at the time. Oh, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, it's a wonderful, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's because, like, they padded, like, the darker opening scene, 
with the guy getting eaten by the the big tiger. So they're like, okay, so we have the the fun jaunty Arabian nights, and then now we're like dark scene. So then they maybe they're like, okay, so after that we got to have a little a little bit more whimsy back thrown in. So maybe that plays into That's it. The word it's definitely more whimsical than some of the other ones, and even like Bell, which is a fun. Big, but it, it, but it's a big opening Broadway number. Whereas this is just kind of a fun, light, you know, uh, uh, yeah, just a fun, light, sort of whimsical number compared to some of the other ones. Yeah. Um, so he successfully evades the police, and Aladdin and Abu and Abu are able to eat their bread in peace. But he spots two hungry children and gives them a share, which Abu reluctantly does as well. That's how we know maybe this Aladdin kid isn't just some street rat. You know, he may be rough on the outside, but maybe he's a diamond in the rough. Mm, you could say that, Paul. Mm. You could say that. After Aladdin mm. saves the same kids from getting run over by a wealthy prince visiting the palace, uh, the prince tells Aladdin he'll never be anything more than a street rat. That night he goes home to contemplate his place in Agrabah and dreams of a better life. And here is his want song, the, the reprise, a very brief, brief reprise of One Jump Ahead. Uh, as he looks on from, I mean, you know what? Pretty, you know, the, the, not a great spot to be to be hanging out, you know. To but uh, pretty good view, I say. Is this the like the shortest want song we've had? We have gotta in these movies. Be, gotta be, gotta be shortest want song, shortest villain song. They're both wow. reprises. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely Ashman. No more, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, but the thing is, even. The Ashman songs are kind of like not the typical songs, mm. you know, like they uh, he clearly was going for something different with this one. OK. And obviously and you're right, though, but it, at a certain uh, to a certain extent, you're right. It, it, it is kind of like the songs they put in are more like the songs you would hear from Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Like this is the, he didn't write the want song. Mm. He didn't write the love ballad. Um, which is, you know, those are kind of like the hallmarks of those movies in a way. Interesting. Yeah. But you're right. It's definitely a different, this is of the three we've watched, the most different structure so far. Um, even though, you know, it's, it's a lot of the same structure. Yeah. Uh, Brad Kane, wonderful voice. Gotta say, great singer. Uh, just, just like a, I don't know what it is. It's just a clean voice. That's the best way to describe it. He's got a really clean voice yeah it. we go to the palace uh where we see the prince that we saw a little earlier storming out after being humiliated by princess jasmine a lot more too of um very goofy like golden age animation humor in this movie than previous ones i think yeah part of, definitely yeah, I, I think part of that is the fact that the characters are made are are designed like caricatures so they just kind of lend themselves to comedy more yeah, there's a bit more like you kind of mentioned it with like the fluid movement. There's a bit of that where like characters will kind of like even like with a nod of the head, they nod with a very like like extreme like nod where you're like this is just, you know, it's definitely more old school than what we've been seeing in the past couple of movies. Yeah. And even the way like this prince walks out, he's got these big gangly arms where he's just like flailing them back and forth. And he's obviously got the his pants are ripped with a comic, you know, with classic uh, comedy underwear boxes yes. with the hearts on them. Nothing. Yes. No pair of undergarments is funnier. Yep. We even see it in uh, Beauty and the Beast. We saw those underwear. Be- again, 
it just gets everybody laughing. You gotta make them laugh. Yeah. Heart underwear. Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. Precisely, precisely. So he storms out after being humiliated by Princess Jasmine, her father, the Sultan of Agrabah, who is just named the Sultan, right? He doesn't have another name. No, he doesn't have a name. All right, he's just the Sultan. I like how we've now gone two movies in a row where a, a character of royalty has no name other than Sultan or Beast. I don't know what it is. They don't want to yep. name these royals, which, okay, fine. Uh, the Sultan says that she must be married in three days, as law states, but she wants to marry because she fell in love, not because the law tells her to. Uh, Jafar, who we learn is the Sultan's most trusted aide, uh, calms the Sultan after another failed courting of Jasmine. Um, I should say he doesn't necessarily calm him as much as he hypnotizes him, uh, as Jafar, of course, his goal is to get the lamp and to become the Sultan. Um, he also gets like his diamond ring, which then gives uh, Jafar, like he puts it in a little doohickey, which then shows him who the diamond in the rough is. I don't know. I wasn't following the logic. I never really thought about it until I was watching it today. Yeah, the magic in this movie is definitely uh, a little more, more uh, slapdash, <laughs> let's yeah. say. It's like, give me your ring, which then I'll put in this machine, yeah. which then I'll have Iago pump out. And then the sands of time will show me who the diamond in the rough is. Yeah, I feel like Got Beauty it. and the Beast is much more like, all right, you're cursed to all be objects. If he does, if that flower petal goes, he's the same way forever. Done. Yeah, it's very simple. Yeah. <laughs> this one's much more like. Uh, but then now I also got this, and this part will tell me that. Like, it's very plot convenient yeah. uh, magic going I've on. Also got this staff that has big red eyes, and yeah. yeah. So that night, Jasmine sneaks out to finally see what the real Agrabah is like uh, and roams the market streets the next day. Uh, she sees a hungry little boy, gives him an apple. The merchant then accuses her of stealing. Uh, and then Aladdin, who's immediately attracted to this mysterious woman, swoops in to save her and take her out of harm's way. Of course, also a, uh, a little bit of commentary of like uh, when you're rich, you just uh, you're just handed things. It's like that episode, just like that episode of The Sopranos where Ben Kingsley gets all the swag when in, yeah. in L.A. And he just is like, this is if they just give this to me because I'm rich. This is what happens when you're rich. You just get things. So uh, yeah. Jasmine, little elitist there. Gotta say, yep. I know you're trying to be a nice girl, but little elitist right there. Yeah. Stealing food from a poor merchant. Exactly. That guy's just trying to make a living. Stealing the food. How dare you? Uh, the two get to know each other a bit more with Aladdin kind of rushing things, frankly, and taking her over to his place pretty quickly, uh, where he shows her the incredible view that he has of the palace, but she doesn't really want to see the palace because that's her home. As Jasmine tells him her story, sparks start to fly before the palace guards storm in to arrest Aladdin. Jasmine then reveals herself as the princess to stop the arrest from happening. But the guards inform her that he's under arrest at the request of Jafar, not the uh, Sultan. Can, can we go over the, the the wonderful painted backdrops that they have for they the sunsets? Are really it's, nice. Yeah, I feel like this, and then with the Lion King after this, like yeah, it, it's like they finally were like, "Ooh, we can make these look really pretty." <laughs> they look really good in this movie, especially. I mean, just the palace itself is such a like a, it's such a like an iconic like. A piece of of architecture in Disney movies, and frankly, I'm a little surprised that it has not found its way more into the parks at Disney. 
like how cool would it be to walk into a land and you see the palace uh, oh no instead let's get a tiny corner right where moana now is because they don't know where else to put her yeah exactly well, again, Paul, if you if you listen to message boards, uh, you know you you know that Star Wars is going to be switched over to Aladdin Land very soon. So it's only a matter of time because they've never been wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we go back to the palace. Uh, Jasmine tries to free Aladdin, but Jafar tells her that he's already dead, already beheaded him. This is a really great moment with uh, one of part I distinctly remember laughing so hard when I was a kid was when Iago is stuck in the door. And oh, he's yes, just, I love and he's just playing. Yeah. He's all, he's all oh, come on, man, 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 and then he just kicks him in. <laughs> it's, it's Gilbert Godfrey. We haven't got into him yet. He absolutely kills it in this role as the like he knows exactly how to play it up to even a higher echelon of Gilbert Godfrey than he normally is. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. He's so funny in this role. It's another one where you can't imagine anybody else being that role and of course open the door for him to voice every fictional bird from here on <laughs> uh and then he gets up and then i because i have the movie playing right now also the part after he comes back after jasmine leaves and he gets up and he's like Ugh! and he's like choking and he goes Ugh! so how did it go <laughs> it's <laughs> It's so well done. So well done. The comedy in this movie is really good. The comedy is very good. I was going to say, it's the closest that Disney gets to a sort of Looney Tunes style. Like I said, the the Golden Age. It's that sort of Looney Tunes style of comedy that, frankly, they usually try to shy away from. And this is kind of the first time when it happens, because then they kill it again with Timon and Pumbaa after this. But this is like really where it starts to hit like, now all the pieces are coming together because, like, with Little Mermaid, it's let's let's be fair. There's a, some of the story stuff is fine, but the music is is the Little Mermaid, right, right, right. And I feel like Beauty and the Beast is like, oh, this one has a really compelling story. Plus, they have music, awesome. Mm-hmm. And then this is like, now you got the story, you got the music, and you got comedy, and you're like, wow, we are really like firing off all cylinders. Yeah. And We're it, way yeah. past it. Flounder, see you later, buddy. Nice yeah. knowing you. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you could, you compare the cast of characters like to this to like the sidekicks in the previous movies, and it's it, they just get better and better as they go. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Yeah, obviously because we all remember Pocahontas's uh, little raccoon and hummingbird friends. Um, yes, we all remember them. We can all say their names. Okay. I mean, up until this point. We can all say their names on the count of three. One, two, three. When is Pocahontas coming out? A couple years later. 95? Okay, yeah. I'm saying up until here. Right. I feel like up until here till through uh, Lion King is when it's all like gravy, gravy. Sure. uh, One of them is Riku, I think. I think so. Yeah. I think that's also a character from Final Fantasy. But so, I think it just says something that it, I think it just says something that the carpet in this movie, which does not talk, has a lot more personality than most of the sidekick fish, except for Sebastian and, and yes. uh, the Little Mermaid. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So yeah, uh, according to Jafar, Aladdin is dead, uh, and she runs off and, and flees. And uh, in reality. Aladdin is alive. He's chained up and feels duped by Jasmine. Uh, Abu gets him out of the cuffs, and an old man, who is actually Jafar in disguise, arrives and tells him that 
tells him about the Cave of Wonders, where he's going to need his help to get some treasure, and he'll be handsomely rewarded for it. So they escape. They head to the cave. That's where Aladdin heads in to fetch the lamp for the old man, uh, and as he said, will be rewarded. Aladdin and Abu enter the cave and discover treasures upon treasures, including the fabled magic carpet, uh, which a lot more CG animation in this movie, by the way. It's like every movie we've watched, like Little Mermaid was like, let's try a little bit of CG. Then Beauty and the Beast is like, let's have a couple of scenes be like really big CG showstoppers. This one is like, let's have a a CG character. Let's have the Cave of Wonders be CG. Let's have a big... uh, action sequence where it's digitally digital backgrounds like let's go full bore with this stuff and yeah. it still looks pretty good today to be honest it really does uh yeah the the scene of them the digital scene of them escaping from the cave on the carpet uh aka the hardest level on sega or super yeah, nintendo depending on your hard one that was <laughs> depending a hard on one. your system of choice that was a uh, hard one but yeah it looks incredible yeah, it looks good. The Cave of Wonders still looks really good, too. It looks really... Just the actual, like, the head of the Cave of Wonders looks cool. So, after uh, scaring Abu, uh, the carpet uh, agrees to uh, help Aladdin and the gang to find the lamp. He does find it, but Abu also finds the forbidden treasure. And as a kid, I don't... So, Abu is definitely just, like, treasure, right? He's not like, that looks delicious. Yeah. Because as a kid, I was like, that looks delicious. Oh, I think he's just like shiny objects. Right, sure. But as a kid, I'm like, I want to eat that, even though I know I shouldn't. But Mm. I want to bite it because it looks delicious. It looks like those little candies you got in school when you were doing good in a library. The little strawberry candies that will like cut your tongue and and need stitches on it. You know what I'm talking about. Cody, I love those strawberry candies. They're so good. They, they're the best old people candies. Oh, they are. Bar Definitely. none. They are, they are, without question, only available in the pockets of old people and also delicious. Yeah. My grandma's house had them all the time. And they're I great. Always, I always had them. Right. In a cookie tin, I would imagine. So, he, so, yeah, this is not one of those strawberry candies as much as I wanted it to be. And Abu maybe did. Uh, Abu grabs the forbidden treasure, and that's where the cave begins to fall in. And Aladdin has grabbed the lamp at this point. Uh, the magic carpet races them to the opening where Jafar is waiting. Again, um, hardest level in the video game. Also, why is that not a ride? Mm. Just why? It yeah. just is such a no-brainer. The only ride associated with the magic carpets, as far as I know, is a Dumbo flying elephant knockoff. It's such a letdown. Yeah. Yeah. Should be this. They should have a motion ride that just goes through different Disney animated movies. I'm game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah, this... They show you running. They show you running from like sharks and stuff in the Little Mermaid. Right, running for sharks, uh, the the wildebeests, and uh, the wolves in the forest, and Beauty and the Beast. Right, and Home on the Range. Oh, Cody, where we hear Roseanne Barr sing. Yes. Right, is she? She's in that movie. Right? I believe so. I think so. Never seen it. Uh, yeah, so Jafar is waiting at the front of the cave and uh, orders Aladdin to give him the lamp before he helps him. And uh, But he then tries to kill him. Uh, the cave closes, and Aladdin is trapped. And Jafar believes he has the lamp, but when he reaches for it, it's gone. 
back in the cave. Uh, Abu, Aladdin, and the magic carpet are trapped, but Abu reveals that he was able to grab the lamp. Uh, Aladdin tries to read what's on the lamp, and he rubs it to see what's on there and accidentally releases an all-powerful genie. And now the movie hits the accelerator and never lets off. Yeah. Genie tells Aladdin... He now has three wishes for whatever he wants in so many ways. I'm sorry if I'm like missing your favorite genie joke, your favorite genie pun. It's a little hard to keep up. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones. So go ahead and let us know your favorites. Yeah. We're not going to be able to do justice to Robin Williams' fantastic performance. So no. let's just. No, we're not. It's we're great. Not. We know it's great. Come on. That said, also, before I forget it, uh, if you are looking to giggle uncontrollably for 30 minutes straight one thing i watch on youtube to make myself feel better the two-part interview with that i don't think was even supposed to be two parts with uh robin williams on late the late late show with craig ferguson just just unrelenting silliness and it's wonderful it makes me laugh every time like like dying laughing it's great Okay. So I highly, highly recommend it. So anyway, he tells them in so many ways in a song called Friend Like Me, which is one of the Asherman songs. Again, uh, he was going for that Fat Swaller, Cab Calloway sort of vibe. And it's totally here in the song. Uh, I wonder, though, how I can't imagine Robin Williams ad libbed stuff in this song. But how do you think they felt when he heard they heard him singing it for the first time and they're like what the fuck yeah he's just doing like every line is an impression <laughs> yeah that's it's incredible though but that's the reason it's so memorable is because like i remember you know as a being being a kid watching this like you would constantly like try to replicate the voices he was doing throughout this song i i like to think that i have since perfected Every, you know all the Robin Williams songs in these movies. After many, many years and many times repeating it over and over again, uh, I could also imagine if the animators were there in studio when he was doing the song. I could imagine both the feeling of "Wow, this is exciting!" Like he is really just taking this performance to another level that nobody else would be doing, and also. Oh my fucking god, how am I going to animate this? This is going to be the <laughs> hardest thing I've ever animated in my life. Yeah. Because he's so all over the place. Like, also, I just want to see a picture of him after after a bunch of takes doing this song. Because, oh, you yeah. know, because Robin was a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> he was a hairy man. We love him. He was a he, very hairy man. He was must have been, like, soaking wet after he finished doing all this. Like, yeah. he would sweat so much. This also the rare Disney movie that has got not one but two showstoppers. Yeah, you know, uh, up until now it's been one showstopper a movie, and this one they just say nah, this character needs two, and he absolutely does need two. Yeah, I mean Prince Ali is technically not his song, but it's his song. Um, I mean he is his song, he sings it, but it's not about him. Whereas this one is, so you know what I mean. Um, great fun song so much fun all like i said the the little things that they're they're doing here um still even after an incredible performance aladdin is not totally convinced uh after genie tells him all of the rules of uh genie dumb what is it he can't because aladdin is street smart that's why that's a good point that's a good point can't just accept at face value even after a guy you know 
uh, shows you camels galore and you know all the treasures in the world and then transforms himself into Jack Nicholson at one point. Yeah. <laughs> That's later on, but still. Yeah. A grifter is going to grift Cody and he's going to know he's going to look for openings that he can and yeah. he and he knows what to do immediately. He plays into his obviously this guy thinks very highly of himself, this guy meaning the genie. So Aladdin goes, "Oh, can't even get us out of this cave probably." Right. <laughs> you can't make me fall in love. You can't make me you can't bring people back from the dead. And what was the other one? Can't, can't break, wish for any more wishes. Can't, can't wish for other wishes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Which yeah. only one of those goes into effect i kind of wish they went for all three you know maybe there was a different version that would have done all three of them i don't know if you want to throw in the kids where aladdin's like i wish so-and-so was alive and they're like well kid (laughs) got bad news for you yeah that might have been a little heavy for the kitties um a little bit yeah uh but yeah genie uses his magic to get them out of the cave and um into a little desert oasis. Back at the palace, Iago devises a new plan with Jafar, where Jafar will become the sultan uh, after losing the lamp. Instead of getting becoming sultan by wishing for it, he'll just marry Jasmine instead and have the sultan pick him by basically telling him, oh, yeah, there's a new law that uh, is in the, I don't know, whatever laws we have, uh, and hypnotizing him. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the royal the, the royal decree of Agrabah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. We don't, we don't go into that. Um, and yeah, while they're in this little oasis, by the way, they're devising a plan. What do we do? This is, I think, the part where he's Jack Nicholson inexplicably for like a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I watching it, it felt like he's like Jack Nicholson here for like a minute. He's not. But like, they're really going hard on like, man, you know what kids love? Jack Nicholson impressions. <laughs> but I love that he just is like, I'm doing this. I'm going to be Jack Nicholson right now. But anyway, he basically tells him, like, uh, what do you got to do to to get to the princess? I can't make you fall in love with her. So he decides, let's make him a prince. Also, we find out here that Genie, the one thing he wants, good old Aladdin, no, he's not thinking about himself. Um, he asks Genie what he wants, and he tells him that eventually he'd like to be free. That's all. Uh, so anyway, they devise the plan. Yes, you're going to be the prince. Let's do it. Abu, you're an elephant now. Uh, you're Prince Ali. Let's go. As they arrive, they, that Jafar and the Sultan are interrupted by the grand entrance of Prince Ali. Uh, before we get there, uh, because it is such a big moment, I feel like I, I, I don't want to have to backtrack after we go into Prince Ali. So I want to go in. It's, it's interesting that Iago is the one that comes up with the grand plan. Like, how weird is that? It's like, it, normally, we're so used to villains, especially even after this, like the Lion King, like, the villain is the villain, and his his uh, his sidekicks are idiots. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Iago, you know, I don't even think about it. Iago, definitely the most capable sidekick of any villain. Yeah. To, and up to this point, and maybe even afterwards. Yeah. I can't He's like, hey, a more capable one. why don't we do it this way? Then you could be Sultan. And he's like, oh. And, and- and it's Iago who successfully steals the lamp. Yeah. Using his idea. Huh. I'm telling you, Iago's the, Iago's the true villain of this. Not <laughs> bad for an old bird brain. Not bad at all, Iago. 
so yes, Prince Ali is here. It's a parade. It's a, a menagerie of, of you know, 60 elephants and, and camels galore, llamas and, um, you know, monkeys. And uh, I, I can't think of all the things off the top of my head. I'd have to have the lyrics in front of me of all of the things that are mentioned in Prince Ali, which is it's, it's quite a it's, it's quite a sight. Um, yeah, we talked about on this podcast before about songs that hook you in from the first couple of notes. And this is one where but you're like, okay, this like you just know it's gonna be great. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh it, it's such a blast, the song. And another one where the, Robin Williams is doing every voice imaginable. Uh I mean this this one, even more so than Friend Like Me. Like every line he changes, it feels like, or every verse he changes. Um that one almost feels like they had to have planned that one, but maybe they didn't. Maybe he just was like, I'm going to, uh, maybe he hears like, oh, there's going to be a part where like the girl, the, the women sing underneath me. Well, then I'm just going to act like one of the ladies too and be ridiculous. Yeah. Um, you know, there could have been a lot of that. Um, and another just, you know, uh, the amount, the amount of detail and the, the amount of stuff going on here is pretty spectacular. Uh, just one of, uh, I think this is probably, I mean, a whole new world is like on a level of its own, but just in terms of like how much fun it is, I, this is my favorite. It's just so much fun. Um, I, I'm going to shout out a, a version of this song that probably a lot of people have heard because it has like 13 million views. Uh, but there's a woman called Anna Pansu and, uh, she covers the song and she has a voice like a Disney princess and she gets so high pitched when she sings this. Uh, she actually hits uh, what you would call a C six towards the end of the song. Oh, because you hear—I believe you hear one of the backup singers though. The, that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But so she does a cover of the song, which is incredible. Nice. Uh, so yeah, it is. It is definitely worth checking out. Um, but yeah, the whole song is incredible. Uh, it's a great introduction to. You know what it is? It's because we have to have a reintroduction because. We've had Aladdin, but we have not had Prince Ali get introduced. No, allow me to reintroduce myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Paul, when you said, boy, a song that's got 13 million views, a version of the song that's got 13 million views, and a lot of you have probably heard, I thought, boy, your tune really changed about the Will Smith version of this song. Oh, uh, Cody? No! A literal affront to God, that song. Awful. So the Sultan is impressed with Prince Ali. And, uh, oh, but the best part of the song is, I think it's called Nandante, is what you call it in music? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But when it slows down, and then, oh, it, yeah. and then it speeds back up towards the end. Da, 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 da. Prince Ali. It's so great. So and great. The, and the, the ending of it, where it's just so many things being thrown at you to this day, I, don't, I couldn't say all of them off the top of my head. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. So yeah, the Sultan is very impressed with Prince Ali. Very oh, Sultan impressed. is so cute. Sultan is just a little <laughs> ball of goo. I love him. I just want to roll him. I just want to roll him around like dough, like bread dough, and just kind of just. That's what I want to do. I just want to like have two people at either end and just roll him. Just have him spin. Just roll yeah. to the other side. It'd be adorable. Everything about him bounces. Even his hat bounces yes. when he walks. <laughs> He's very cute. Uh, his little clapping hands. Oh, he also the fact that he also loves playing with the little magic carpet is so yeah. funny. Such an underrated moment where he jumps on the carpet and is just like, "Wee!" 
so Jafar is skeptical, though, of course, and uh, suspects that Prince Ali may not be who he we think he is. All the men are arguing uh, over who should have the hand of the princess, and Aunt Jasmine hears the whole thing, telling them that she still is not going to marry anyone, telling off all of these boys who are telling her what she has to do, and she's right. Yeah. That night, Aladdin tries to convince Jasmine that he is worthy. And while Jeannie says that he just needs to tell her the truth, um, he tries to keep up the charade instead. Jasmine initially turns down his advances and tells Aladdin that he might as well. What is it like? She basically is like, if you, what is it like if you really love me? You'll just jump off the ledge or something like that. <laughs> like, damn, that's a little like, look, I get it. Like, this is not a fun situation for you, but seems like a new, it seems like a stretch there. Seems a little yeah. extreme, Jasmine. So he does. He jumps off the ledge and there is uh, the magic carpet there to carry him magically. And of course, that's when he says, do you trust me? That's where she starts to get the hint. Maybe he's not who he says he is, and maybe this guy's something different. And they go on a magic carpet ride. Well, yeah, because he goes, uh, the thing that she remembers is the do you trust me. Yes, of course. And he even had his turban off at one point where she's like, wait a minute. Um, But now we are at a whole new world, which I am so used to the soundtrack version at this point that I, when it started, I was like, Wait, is this is wrong? The way I'm so used to hearing, you know, it doesn't start like that in the movie, which I caught me off guard. I thought you were gonna say you're so used to the version that I do at karaoke. Is that (laughs) (laughs) that I do specifically? No, me. That I do. Okay, okay. I've done this. I've done this at karaoke so many times. Very nice. I yes, that's right. I effort to do this at karaoke (laughs) quite a few times. Um. I mean, no joke, a perfect song. There are probably songs that, movies that as a whole have better soundtracks than Aladdin, although Aladdin is right up there. But I will go so far to say there may not be a better Mm. Disney song from a movie, a Disney animated musical song. I mean, I'm I'm going that far with this. It's really a perfect song. It's, and I'm, I'm, just thinking it's definitely the best duet it's such a good duet because it's so like yeah it's just it, the way that the 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 they stagger the lyrics and everything and every it just everything just works in perfect harmony and again i'm not my i wish my musical vernacular was a little more advanced so i could describe to you exactly what it is about it but it's just something about it hits your ear right you know yeah the harmonies are just on point and yep. you know they don't overdo it so you're not constantly hearing them harmonize over and over and over again. Like they, they, they ha- since they happen so sparsely, when it does, it's more special. And it's yeah, everything's interwoven really nicely, and it's like each one gets their moment to shine, and it's yeah, it's just a great song, man. And then partner that, partner that with the digital Agrabah and them flowing through yeah. it. It's just everything about it is just. So, how fast are they going? You know, it's. <laughs> Um, fast enough to where they should have fallen off that carpet a hundred times. Yes. Because it seems like a pretty casual pace, but I'm almost feeling like they have to be going Santa speed to, to put it, in, to well, put they, it in childish they go, terms. They go, they go like, they go like 20,000 feet in the air. Um, right. But also like, there's a point when they're the G's that they're, that they're pulling <laughs> going straight down and then shooting back up. It's just, 
let's just say I think they both would have passed out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, because what? Let's see. They're they're obviously Middle East. They're in Egypt. They go to Egypt. We don't know the vicinity of Agrabah to Egypt, but I can't imagine it's very far. <laughs> yes, but you know, it, it that area of the world is quite big. <laughs> yeah, because they go there, and then we're going to what I believe is ancient, either Greece or Rome. I can't tell. Looks like either ancient Rome or ancient Greece. I'm going to say Rome. That sounds more time appropriate. Although, now see, now my timeline's off. When did... No, no, because ancient Egypt... Why am I trying to determine this? It's a kids... It's a Disney kids animated movie. They're not being like, well, yes, yeah, these, these cultures all coexist at the same time, so... Well, it really um, could have been anywhere right. even then, close but to the Mediterranean because but, but the Roman Empire was everywhere. But then they go to China. They do? They clearly go to China at the end. To China? They clearly are in China. To China? Yes. When? I'm trying to look it. for it. The end of it. They're okay. clearly in, uh, what do you call it? The the main square. Are they? Yes. Oh, I, I got it pulled up right now. I'm, I'm looking for this. 100%. So, okay. It's an indescribable feeling, Cody. What's <laughs> going on? <laughs> I'm I'm looking this up to see if somebody actually whole new world miles traveled. Nope, nobody <laughs> nobody cares other than me. Countries. Uh, okay, so they're at visited. They're on like a lake. Okay, here we go. Is, is this supposed to be in China? They did no, it's at the end of the song. It's at the end of the song. Okay, I see them in a lake with a gazebo. Mm-hmm. A thrilling chase, a wondrous place. Right. For you and me. I don't see China. The end. The song ends. No, then they go to China right at the very end when the song's over. I'm telling you. They, they, oh, it's yeah. It's over in China. There you go. That's what I mean. Okay. Greece, China, Egypt for sure. But that's a big, like... It's Why about, did like, I not remember this? Like, Greece and Egypt, like, Agrabah, Greece, Egypt. You're kind of like, okay, Mediterranean, you Cody, can kind of get watched, away with it. I watched this earlier today. How right. did I not realize they're, that they're going to China? That was the moment where I'm like, that's a big... To go from places that are at least in the vicinity of the Mediterranean to China is China. a big leap. Like pronounced you think China. This, you think this? Thank you. You think there's something in between they could go to, but no, you make a giant leap to China and then back to Agrabah, same night. Well, I magic. So. I guess so. Anything's possible in a magic carpet, right? Anyway, the magic carpet has wormhole te- wormhole technology. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, I was I was also gonna say, is there like a protective barrier on the magic carpet? I don't believe so. Because no. isn't there a moment when Abu almost falls off and he like grabs it and he gets yeah, back true. on or something? True, 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 true. So anyway, he gets back and uh, bad things start to happen. Yeah, wormhole technology. That's that's where we're going with. Uh, by the way, before we move on, uh, the song joins uh, obviously an exclusive list of Disney songs that win an Academy Award. Also, the only Disney song to this day to win the Grammy Award for Song of the Year like wow. not not just like best musical like best original song song of the year of wow. all songs yeah man uh, i mean if the grammys meant anything that'd be amazing but <laughs> <laughs> uh i have to now check i i should have checked before what were the other 
Uh, let's see. That's a what good were the question. other nom? I want to see the other nominees. Let's see. Grammys. When did this movie come out? Ninety two. So it would have been ninety two. Hey, 90- grunge is grunge is swinging, baby. Yeah, that's right. Jasmine, Aladdin, and Jasmine beat beat grunge. Okay, here you go. Song of the year. Okay, okay. So in the ninety four. Oh, that's super weird. The ninety four Grammys. Oh, because their cutoff is super weird. That's what it is. So it won at the ninety four Grammys two years after the movie had come out. Because their cutoff is like October of the year prior. So like a thing that came out in November of 92 is eligible for the 94 ceremony. Uh, yeah, here you go. The Your favorite, Piaba Bryson and Regina Bell's version, the pop version, um, went to number one on the charts, by the way. It dethroned... I will always love you, which was there for 14 straight weeks, then a record. Wow. Uh, the songs are also nominated. Uh, the River of Dreams by Billy Joel. Meatloaf. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Oh, Cody. Uh, hurting my heart right now. Sting, if, uh, if I Ever Lose My Faith in You, and Harvest Moon by Neil Young were the other nominees. And a, okay. whole new, and a whole new world one. I mean, I would do anything for love. But you won't but, beat a whole new world. Nope. No, nope. Won't do that. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, the, so 94, because the Grammy, I mean, you didn't need to hear it, but another reminder, Grammys, stupid. So back to the movie. Aladdin is now on cloud nine, but his good mood quickly shifts when he is seized by the palace guards who then tie him up and dump him in a nearby lake under Jafar's orders. He falls to the Mafia bottom. style. Very mafia style. Sleeping with the fishes. Sleeping with the fishes. The little guy is dead. Or the little guy is not a problem anymore. You know, something like that. Uh, he falls to the bottom of the lake and accidentally rubs the lamp, making Genie appear. Uh, Genie saves him for his second wish, even though he technically didn't say anything. Um, Genie just saved him out of the goodness of his heart. So Aladdin goes back to the palace, finds that Jafar is once again trying to hypnotize the sultan so that he'll let him marry Jasmine. Uh, Aladdin realizes that the staff is giving him the power. He smashes it, breaks the spell. The sultan orders Jafar to be arrested, but he vanishes before the palace guards can take him away. Uh, Jafar also gets a glimpse of the lamp under Aladdin's turban, and that's when he realizes Prince Ali is not as you know him, as you find out later. Jafar is now gone, but and the Sultan sees that Jasmine is falling in love with Prince Ali, and she does say that he, she will indeed marry him. Now facing the reality that he's actually going to marry Jasmine, Aladdin starts to realize how deep this lie has actually gone. He tells Genie that he can't free him anymore because he has to keep up the charade that he's a prince to marry Jasmine. Uh, kind of a dick move. Genie is betrayed and squeezes back into the lamp. Meanwhile, Jafar has finally figured out Prince Ali is just Aladdin in disguise. And this is when, again, Iago, the true mastermind of this movie, is sent out. Uh, classic parroting techniques does the fantastic uh, impression of Jasmine. Uh, and then also does an impression of Jafar as well. Um, impression of Jasmine to get Aladdin out of the room, away from the lamp, and he snags the lamp. Now, J- Jafar has the lamp. He summons Genie. By the way, as I'm going through all this, one thing you've mentioned in our first two movies, 
you your game is how long is the climax of the movie yeah there is a song in between there's another song but it's a reprise but i would say after whole new world that's where you would kind of consider like all right we've got the big songs out of the way now it's end of the movie well i do it from when the final like the final song we're about to get no when we're about to get the final battle when we're finally going to get the like the big confrontation okay well then so uh, this movie this movie's much longer than the last ones yes the final confrontation it's about the same length uh 90 minutes both of these all three of these movies we watched so far little mermaid things a little shorter but uh, definitely a lot more build up towards that final confrontation than these other movies have had for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, Jafar rubs the lamp uh, and summons the genie, and now he is the genie's master. Um, and of course, now we also see like uh, genie getting like hgh injections or something very quickly he goes from like normal looking fun genie to like super roided out genie i think the genie um takes the image of like the their master that's a good point yeah that's fair like their essence which in this case is uh a baseball player from 1998 there you go so yeah, he begins to do Jafar's bidding. Jafar uses his first first wish to become Sultan. Quickly realizes this is bullshit. Who cares about being Sultan? Uh, he wishes to become the most powerful sorcerer in the world. He then uses his grand powers um, to basically do anything he wants. And the first thing he does is decides to be a snitch and tells on Aladdin in uh, the reprise of Prince Ali. So... This is where the the consistency has worn off because she's like, Ali, it's you? You're Aladdin? Like, you knew he was Aladdin. Yeah, I mean, maybe she had bought into it so much. Um, no, but the, the do you trust me? Yeah. That's why she went with him. She knew it was Aladdin. She doesn't know how he became Prince Ali, but she knew he was Aladdin. And then all of a sudden, like she's shocked. Oh yeah, because when they're in when they're in China, he's like, "Oh yeah, um, I actually that was a disguise." And then I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It was a little bit it's, of a weirdness. It, it's just it's just a weird like I felt like they well, needed. No, I think it's I think it's because he's like, "Oh yeah, I was in disguise as Aladdin," but then the disguise comes off and it reveals he is no Aladdin was the real version, not. Ali. So I think that's maybe the I, I still feel like her reaction is uncharacteristic to who won her character that and just maybe. everything. Yeah. I feel like they needed that dramatic tension, so they just they made it so that she's a little bit more surprised than she should be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I will say there's uh about the song itself. Uh, we've gotten used to great villain songs. Yeah, we don't get one. And this is the villain song, and it's not yeah, it's really not. a villain song, but Instead of a villain song, we get a fun genie song is what we get. Yeah, we get an extra genie song, exactly, which is fine. Um, but you know what? If this is the one time where the voice actor for Jafar, Jonathan Freeman, gets to ham it up, bravo. Does a gra- I love the way he just eats it up yeah. in this song. Good cackle. Uh, definitely a, a 9.5 out of 10 cackle. Probably borderline 10 out of 10 cackle. Uh, good stuff. Love it. 
so yeah, he reveals to everyone that Aladdin is nothing but a street rat. He launches him out of the palace in a sort of makeshift rocket, which launches him far away onto a snowy mountain. Again, uh, where are these things in the geography of this? Uh, I'm just I'm just thinking Agrabah is actually just like a floating orb above the above earth that exists in its own world and that they just get sent to the moment they exit its orbit they just get sent off to random places throughout the world because again the geography doesn't quite make sense um although they're anyway whatever well isn't there like snow like in the mountains of kazakhstan i, I was gonna like, say that's true yeah you're absolutely right there there's definitely could be there's definitely places with snowy mountains. Yeah. so all right fine fine i stand corrected I was in geography, not geography. Yeah, where's Everest, isn't it? You know, Where is Everest? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I should know that. I feel like I'm, I'm really failing on a lot of knowledge that feels like it should just be offhand pretty easy. It's honestly. the China-Nepal border. All right. All right. Well, I mean, if you could go to China and <laughs> yeah. at night and celebrate in Beijing, then I guess it's not that crazy. Yeah, but I know, like, Kazakhstan has, like, mountains where... Yes, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So Aladdin finds Abu in the magic carpet uh, in the snow. They narrowly escape, pulling off a little Buster Keaton sort of magic there. Uh, and they escape certain doom on the snowy mountaintop, and they head back to Agrabah to save the now-captured Jasmine and the Sultan. He sneaks into the palace, finds Genie, warns him that he can't help uh, Aladdin, and since Jafar gets the lamp, but uh, Aladdin tries to sneak up on Jafar to steal it back. Uh, Jafar asks for his third wish from the Genie, which is also that, we have major slave Leia vibes with Jasmine super going on. <laughs> slave Leia vibes. You've got uh, the Sultan in basically a court jester's outfit, being stuffed with dry crackers. He's like eating, and like she's got what's it called the uh, like the chain around her. Literally, her entire outfit is slave Leia with yeah. just different pants with with pants. Yeah, you know that's really the only difference. Uh, Jafar asks for a third wish to be that Jasmine falls in love with him, which we. No, you read the instructions. That's not what happens. It's not how this works. Can't fall in love. Uh, but when Jasmine sees Aladdin from the corner of her eye, she plays along and pretends to be falling in love with him so that Aladdin can seal back the lamp. Jafar sees Aladdin's reflection and knocks him away. He then traps Jasmine in a large hourglass where the sand is, is slowly trickling down that will suffocate her. Um, Jafar transforms himself into a giant kick-ass cobra uh, both frightened me so much as a child and simultaneously thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, he just looks awesome. Um, to try and fend off Aladdin once and for all, uh, while trapped in the snake Jafar's coils, also Jafar throwing so many puns during this time, like just... Your plans are unraveling. Ah, and he ra unravels yes, the carpet. Unraveling. <laughs> he says... Something, do you have a point? Like, have you made your point or something like that? And a bunch of swords fall <laughs> around him. <laughs> yeah, this is where this is my favorite Jafar. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, as as Aladdin is is trapped in Jafar's grip, uh, he hatches a quick plan to basically trick Jafar into using his final wish by telling him that n he'll never be as powerful as the genie. Of course, Jafar takes the bait, wishes to be turned into a genie himself, and then he turns into a kick-ass genie, a fucking cool genie. Great wish callback to the beginning of the movie when he tricks genie to help him escape. Good point. 
That's a and great that was point. and that was regular old Aladdin. That wasn't Prince Ali. That was regular old Aladdin. That's the kid off the streets of Agrabah right there. Street smarts. That's what. That's the lesson of the movie. Yeah, and he does look like an amazing genie. God, he's such a cool genie. I wish we could just hang out with that Jafar for a while. He's so cool. Uh, But unfortunately, we only get a brief moment of uh, big, giant, red Jafar. Big red Jafar. (laughs) Red Jafar daddy. Red Dude, he is a big red daddy right there. Hell yeah. (laughs) I wish to be stuck in that lamp for all eternity. (laughs) So before he could even use his new powers, he is suddenly shackled and sucked back into a new lamp created by his wish and is trapped along with Iago for, uh, you know, whenever that may, he may be untrapped. Genie takes Jafar's lamp and flicks him all the way into the desert, where, into the Cave of Wonders. Genie tells Aladdin that if he wants to use his third wish to become a prince again, he can. He's all good with it. But instead, Aladdin wishes that Genie is free instead. The shackles fall off his wrist. Genie, you're free. That's, that's the famous line. Uh, the shackles fall off his wrist, and my guy is going on vacation. Much like your dog when you forget to put their collar back on, he just looks naked without those wrist things, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a good point. Somehow he just looks naked. It's just insane. <laughs> Oh, well, good for Genie. He's off uh, again to California Adventure uh, to celebrate and make jokes about Kardashians and, uh, you know, a gov- the governor for, th- for thousands and thousands every day at Disneyland Resort for the next 15 years. So I'm happy for him. The Sultan has a change of heart as well and decides to let Aladdin marry his daughter, even though he's nothing more than some riffraff street rat and changes the law that... Uh, Jasmine and, and future princesses don't have to um, have a suitor chosen for them and don't have to be married at a certain time. All's well that ends well. We hear a reprise of a whole new world as Jasmine and Aladdin live happily after, ever after. Oh yeah, Abu was like a little toy and he's back to being a monkey now and he also changed back from being an elephant. Um, yeah, he hasn't been like Roman. If, if you've never seen this movie by chance and you're listening to this and you're thinking, my God, is Abu still an elephant? No, I can assure you he's, he's back to being a monkey. Um, Genie leaves after an emotional goodbye, and then uh, they fly away, and uh, we see Genie's face on the, uh, on the moon. Got to have that one last little punchline. Yeah, which isn't a punchline at all. He just goes, made you look at it's, what? At the it, an exit screen? It's the moon turns, and it's his yeah. face. And I'm he says, made you look. I think it's he, he, he put his spirit into the—he changed into the moon. And then change back, and then went made you look, and then I don't, yeah, I don't really get it either. Doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So, and then it ends. So. The genie gags in the final third of the movie have have really taken a, a tumble. There is definitely because it's it's always like whenever it's like okay now we have to like wrap this thing up. It's got to be a little more dramatic, a little more action. Uh, sorry to the kid, to the guy, to the to the characters who got us along the way. Gave us we who who brought us to this point. Gave us all the laughs. We'll remember all the laughs along the way, but you got to go on the sideline now. Yeah, because it's not your time anymore. I would say the the lamest genie line comes in the final third of the movie, which is the uh, Jafar Jafar. If he's can't our man, if he can't do it, great. Yeah, that's a that's that one always. I'm like, nah, it doesn't, doesn't that. Work. That fell flat with me as a child. Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It, yeah, 
It's more fun. The the one where he's all the little cheerleaders. A lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, right. so uh, of course we are recounting the long and storied history of the Disney Renaissance. So uh, simultaneously we are recounting the long and uh, frankly uh, just soul sucking history <laughs> of the Disney direct to video sequels, and of course some of the Disney uh, spinoffs that have come from a lot of these properties, including Broadway shows as well, which have in large part been good. This one is really good. Shout out San Jose Zone, uh, the original genie. I've got to find his name right now because I will be mad if I don't remember. Yeah, is, wasn't he on Kimmy Schmidt? Uh, is it uh, James Monroe uh, Eigelhart? I believe that's his name. Yeah, was he on Kimmy Schmidt? Yeah, he showed up as like Titus's uh, nemesis or something. Oh, really? See, I must have. Uh, yeah, James Monroe Eigelhart, who is from Hayward, but I, rem- I think he was also. Uh, yeah, that's right. Did American Musical Theater in San Jose? That's where I get the San Jose connection. So, uh, did local theater in the Bay Area, specifically in San Jose. Shout out to him. He's an incredible genie. Also, the genie I saw in San Jose was also fucking incredible. He's great. Yeah, he he plays the guy that always gets the part that Titus was trying to go for. Yes, which maybe maybe some like like art imitating life there yeah. as well. Uh, that is great. A lot of Aladdin spinoffs have not been great. Uh, so of course, uh, it's time for after happily ever after. Paul, I'm going to quiz you on a couple of Aladdin spinoff questions, starting with the first one: Return of Jafar, which is really what begins this era of being inundated with direct-to-video sequels. It was the first of its kind. A trailblazer, if you will, Mm. of mediocre to bad, (laughs) cheaply made cash grabs. You know, you can always tell the difference between, like, the the movies and the the knockoffs is the shadows. That's a good point. The shadow, like, whenever you see, like, the TV version or, like, the movie version, there's just so much more care taken into actual shadow work on the characters. Whereas on TV, they're like, slap, like, half of a dark part, and that that's a shadow. Right. <laughs> right. Like, All right. Yeah, the Hanna-Barbera effect of the yeah. 60s. Yeah. So, Return of Jafar, the first direct-to-video sequel of any Disney movie at this point. We know Robin Williams ain't in it. A lot of the original cast is, but Robin Williams not in it. Which famous voice actor stepped in for Robin Williams for that direct-to-video sequel? Would it be A, Tom Kenny, B, Rob Paulson, C, Dan Castellaneta, or D, Frank Welker? Is it Rob Paulson? It is not. It's Homer himself. Wow! Dan Castellaneta. That's interesting. In The Return of Jafar, a Does movie- he do like- they do, he does like impressions of a bunch of people in it too and everything? I'm pretty sure. I remember uh, it was on heavy rotation for me uh, as a kid, for sure. Wow. Um, See, I, I thought I thought the manic nature of Rob Paulson would, would, would have been what they go with. That would also work. It would 100% work. But yeah, Dan Castellaneta, uh, that's the other voice actor who's in it. Jonathan, uh, excuse me, Jonathan, Jason Alexander is also in this movie. 94 he- too, so it's like... You know, it's the summer of George. So, summer of George. <laughs> but yeah, like everybody's back except 
Um, actually, no, uh, uh, Leia Salonga does not reprise the singing voice of Jasmine oh. in this movie, but that's about it. Everybody else is pretty much back in this movie. All right. Uh, second question. Yeah, what is the... Uh, okay, yeah, I was about to say, what's the plot of Return of Jafar? Oh, I don't know. Jafar returning? Which is, yeah, Jafar comes for revenge on Aladdin using a foolish thief and Iago's treachery to find a way back to power. Okay, yeah, so probably a thief stumbles onto the lamp. Yeah, I think that's right from the very, very vague memories I have of it. Uh, second question has to do with the television series. The Aladdin TV series was the longest running animated series based off of a Disney movie. So the question is, did any Disney animated show based off of a movie hit that magic syndication number of 100 episodes? It. Do you consider Goof Troop as being based on a Goofy movie? No, because Goof Troop... Is Goofy Movie is a spinoff of of Goof Troop. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to say no. You are correct. Not a single one. Aladdin got to 86 episodes, though. Uh, I think that one was in syndication, whereas a lot of other ones were on Disney Channel or Saturday mornings. Uh, Because I think all the ones that did hit syndication were like Tailspin, which is not technically a... Yeah. like anything like that, yeah. Well, uh, Tailspin, no, ta- Tailspin. I would, co- I would have considered Tailspin a spinoff of a movie because it's all Jungle Book characters. But, uh, but, but, but they play like different versions of yeah, those characters. Yeah, but I mean, his name is still Baloo, and it's King yeah. Louie. And but I don't uh, think they, I don't think they ever sit around being like, hey, remember when we lived in the jungle and we didn't wear clothes? Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. That's also true. <laughs> Come on. But for argument's sake, I would have considered it a spinoff. Remember when the animals took over the world and now there's no humans left? <laughs> Isn't it great? That is a really dark prospect to think of because, and again, when you think of the life expectancy of a black bear in the jungle, <laughs> that had to have been quick. We are an accelerated timeline. That had to have been real fast. Yeah. Or they became so sophisticated that they developed a technology that kept them alive for a long time, which mm. is why they have taken over in the first place. Interesting. And can fly airplanes. Yes. Dalespin. Uh, oh, yeah. Timon and Pumbaa also lasted 85 episodes, second longest show. And lastly, uh, Jonathan Rhys Davies voiced Aladdin's father in the third Aladdin film, Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Which, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, just that statement alone, I'm already like, oh dear lord. <laughs> <laughs> Which Scottish star backed out at the last minute to play the same role? First of all, a Scottish person was going to play Aladdin's father? (laughs) um, I feel like you're trying to steer me towards Sean Connery. So I will say Billy Connolly. It's Sean Connery. (laughs) Oh, wow. I wasn't trying to dupe you. I was trying to make it pretty obvious. Wow! See, I tried to. You know what it is? I'm my I'm my own vil- villain here. I I uh, I overthought it. Oh man, yeah, no, it was uh, it was originally going to be Sean Connery, but he had to back out. That's the last insanity. Minute. Uh, that is also the movie where Robin Williams, as I mentioned, is back. And uh, this one, they did not shy away from using his likeness. I remember when this did come out, it was like Robin Williams is back. Hell yes, he's genie, folks. Genie is back. Everyone, buckle up. Now he's uh, Patch Adams, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Now he's Patch Adams. Jerry Orbach was also back in this movie after Beauty and the Beast. 
uh, playing Saluk. So. I just really want the uh, the scene where he he grabs Aladdin. He's just like, "It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. Don't 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 you do that, genie? Don't you do that to me? Don't you do that to me? It's not your fault." Oh, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. We got one more Disney Renaissance uh, film, and then we're going to also do, I think we said at the beginning, do a little bit of a, like a little Disney March Madness sort of bracket for these four movies that we're talking about, specifically based off of the songs in each movie. Yes. Which one's got the best soundtrack? The definitive ranking. Is coming your way next week. But until then, make sure to go to our website, moviemusicalpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and at, on Facebook at Movie Musical Pod. Movie Musical P-O-D. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to listen to podcasts. You can probably find us there. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody Pasby. I'm at the Paul Ponte, also the Paul Ponte on Instagram and paulponte.com. Cam. Until next time, I'm Cody Basby. I'm Paul Ponte. And we will see you on a magic carpet ride.